I was really jealous the last time that we spoke. Glenn spoke about how he gets loads of croissants and stuff. So I found some vegan croissants, frozen. But I put one in the oven so I could have it now. <laughs> A frozen vegan croissant. Pierre will be turning in his grave if he wasn't alive. Like the thought of that, being a foodie as well. Yeah, I couldn't tell this to my grandma. I want to be all in for Livio. I'm going to put the frozen croissant in the oven and enjoy it while I have the podcast. It feels, it feels like cultural appropriation like, going wrong. Yeah, definitely. Aren't Eric Spanish Hindi? So you should be yeah. like tapas or, or something. Uh, yeah, Pierre's, I think Pierre's just over the border, so he's like 12% Spanish. That's true. No, I was in Barcelona earlier this week, so I'm all tapas out. Cool. Did you go to an amazing tapas bar there? tried some vegan empanadas, really nice. I do something which is amazing, which is uh, pan con tomate. It's just an amazing bread. I'm all about the meat. <laughs> That's what we should call the podcast. All about the meat. <laughs> Speaking of all about the meat, John, do you want to tell the guys what we received from Ryan the other day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, Ryan, tell us about your weekend activities. Sounds worse the way you're saying it. Um, right. <laughs> so I am um, a modern man, and my best friend is a lady. I was at a Hindu, and one of the activities was a nude male life drawing. And there was a picture done of the hen and the individual. So I sent it to John and Indy. <laughs> I thought we were going down the route of you were actually the male model. Oh, that's what they are. It looked incredibly like Ryan, though. Just because he was bald does not mean he's anything. <laughs> oh, sorry, we, we saw his face. That's good. Good to know that we, we saw the <laughs> Yeah, it was not just a penis. Welcome to today's podcast episode, Curating the Payment Experience with Libio. Today we've been joined by Pierre and Glenn. Pierre is a co-founder of Libio and Glenn, who you would have previously heard on one of our podcasts, has made the leap from zero over to Libio in the last few months. But before we kick on, just a quick throw to Ryan and John to see how they're going. I know how the weekends have gone, but we'll start with Ryan's weekend because it sounded very, very colourful. And I'm pretty sure he should tell us about his naughty picture that he sent both John and I with a certain member in the shot. Thanks, Cindy. Nicely thrown over to me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm great. Yeah, had a very interesting weekend. I was at a Hindu, a modern man. I've uh, been in, invited along to my best friend's Hindu. And one of the type, one of the first bits we did on that was a nude male drawing. So very interesting, you know, try to throw myself into it, really get the details in. And part of that, there was a picture taken. I thought I'd share that with the rest of the pod. So you two didn't seem as impressed. I thought it was you. And I was really shocked that you sent me a naked picture of yourself. What did you think, John? I was pretty surprised, but I'm glad to hear that Ryan was working on his uh, proportions because that's the key to art, isn't it? Making sure everything is the right size and shape. How are you anyway? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Well, apart from the fact my heating's broken this morning and uh, it's, it's freezing even though it's warm outside, which is weird. And... I was at the Strategic IT Conference, which was uh, really fascinating, um, really interesting to hear what some of the larger mid-tier firms are doing and enjoyed the, the evening drinks, which got a little bit out of hand afterwards. 
John Toon is taking orders for parties. We are thinking of loaning him out because the amount that he must get through in an evening. So if you do want him to join you, he's barrels of laugh, but please stock up your liquor cupboard. Well, um, another rules, fender pays. That's why I don't take you out. And Glenn, how are you? Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Really happy to have you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm good. My weekend was nowhere near as much fun as Ryan's by the sound of it. But yeah, just a normal English weekend, right? Cutting the lawn and doing family stuff and not drawing anybody naked. But all good. Thank you for having me. Pierre, nice to meet you and thanks for joining us. How are you? Really well. Thanks for for having us. Uh, Really cool to to be on the podcast today. And uh, my weekend was really normal compared with yours. So I should uh, think about relocate to the UK. (laughs) Not everyone has these sorts of weekends. Glenn, have you managed to challenge anyone in um, Libya to a uh, ping pong? No, no, no ping pong yet, but I was in WeWork last week down on Old Street uh, and there's an empty ping pong table crying out for people to be challenged. Pierre's quite a tennis player. I'm hoping that that translates into to ping pong and uh, when he's over in the UK next week and uh, have a bit of a ping pong championship, although I'm not sure it's, career, it might be career limiting to beat the CEO at sports. <laughs> I feel your pain, Glenn. I was at a client a couple of weeks ago and they had a, an empty table tennis table that was left for the entire day untouched. Such a waste. It is. Sacrilege. Right, so let's kick on into our discussion. Thanks for joining us, guys. And we're focusing in on a couple of problems and solutions and speculations that we'd like to talk to you about. In particular, in this space, as fintech and the payment space has become quite rife with a number of different solutions and options that are in the marketplace, but none of them have managed to tick all of the boxes and curate the frictionless payment experience. So one of the things that we wanted to do today was talk about some of the problems that exist as we see it in the market. So payments being too complex, payments that can't be solved without networks, and the fact that open banking Does it work well? Does it not work well enough? And why? So throwing it straight across to Ryan, what has been your experience working with clients in terms of the payments and the payment experience and how have you serviced that problem so far? Yeah, well, I get a lot of the clients we work with are still probably in the dark ages when it comes to to payments. Everything's manual. They still work on a, a finance system that either they collate the payments in and then run a payment run manually transferring pretty much retyping that information into their bank or they're doing it before the information gets into their their finance system they create stacks of paperwork make the payments from that and then enter it in the finance system in the wrong way because it's the only way they can keep control over what they're doing and the main reason for that is just there's no effective integrations within systems we've seen it come through in some sense with expense management we've seen industry specific solutions bolt onto finance systems but payments has always been an area which has really struggled glenn you touched upon some of this when you came on the last podcast if you were to give the market context of what you saw in the time you were at zero and the rising demand for payments to be made less complex in softwares Payments is at a point now that actually probably small business bookkeeping was at 10, 12, 14 years ago, whereas there was lots of friction points. I used to have to go and 
access your bank statement, right? It was either paper and you like, gave your accountant the paper copies and they re-entered it, or you could get into online banking, you'd go and download it and send it over and you had to somehow get it into accounting systems. And as you look through that process, there were friction points all the way through it. Payments is where that is now. Yes, like new technology is coming around, like open banking's happening, which starts to make it um, that, that little bit easier. So like some of the tech and the legislation is getting better, but equally there are still multiple friction points throughout a payment process. And that, that's the challenge when we talk about payments being too complex, actually. It's a lot of it's the workflow around it that is really, really complex. and makes it hard for people to, to, to do payments well, but like, even, even harder for accountants who want to adopt a service where they can do payments on behalf of a client. It's just, it just becomes too difficult and thus too risky in lots of cases for them to take that on. So they, the clients are craving somebody to take this pain away from them. And actually when you simplify that, there's more value to being able to provide a payment service for your clients. Zero obviously realized this a while ago, that pay with wires that they brought out, but it still didn't feel like they were solving it. It felt cumbersome. I don't know if you experienced this from working at zero at the time. Well, I don't think it's as simple as just doing the payment. Where we find a lot of the value is like wallet payments and open banking. So you give people choice. Most people do one or the other and neither is a perfect solution, right? You have to top up wallets a lot of the time. Open banking doesn't work for bulk payments for, for a lot of banks. And neither one is a perfect solution. So being able to support both makes it a lot easier, gives that choice to people. Equally, the approval that's built into Libio, just being able to make payments is fine for maybe a small end user business who's doing it themselves. But actually for any business that may have a large volume of accounts payable invoices, they usually have an approval process that they want as well. So the fact that Libio has that where you can request approval to certain levels from certain people, starts to build some of that complexity in there that businesses need it so it feels a little bit like the early stage of payments right solutions have been built for people that might not actually end up using them an enormous amount and actually they need functionally to gather a bit more steam to the point where they're ready for businesses that maybe are 15 20 50 employees 100 employees and actually they feel a lot of pain from really archaic payment processes you make a good point there Glenn. if you turn it back to accountancy firms it's the larger accountancy firms that have really struggled to grasp the nettle. And that's because the process is what's most fundamentally important to us in terms of we have a range of potentially complex accounting solutions that we service, but actually the process is the biggest challenge to overcome. And there's the smaller firms that have maybe got on board with payments and offered that as a service for maybe longer than we have, have only really been able to do that because they've gone down the single solution bookkeeping direction to begin with and then fed that into a payment solution that's bolted onto the back of it. So it's interesting to see how the market's changing now to broaden its aspect to service a wider range of clients of bigger scale as well. As co-founder, does that speak to you as well in terms of the problem you're trying to solve and why you started this? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, the constable and payments are a big pain. And the thing is, our lives, every day we can pay friends like with peer-to-peer payment apps. That's most of the time for free. And so it's really a conundrum to be in your own business and have the money to pay for a good uh, software and have to go through these 20 manual steps to process payments every day. And so before starting Libero with Jeremy and Pierre-Antoine, I had a group of restaurants and hotels in Paris. 
And we were dealing with this manually, although we could digitize, digitize almost everything in the business. And so I was always finding myself on Monday mornings in front of that pile of invoices that everybody had prepared for me, just for me to look at the bills, check the past it's where, hey, can you please pay this invoice now? And so I was starting to work on this on Monday and I would always end up uh, doing this on Friday or Saturday nights because <laughs> people were yelling at me, hey, you didn't pay the bills where we don't have fish or, or duck to serve to clients. So that was not vegan food, sorry. And so what are bills? Most of the time we tend to focus on the accounting portion, but actually bills are the conclusion between a contract with between a supplier and a client. And within this contract, you have a service or goods. You have payment terms, so dates, payment means, and also payment details. That may sound silly, but you have to check all this and deal with a huge variety of terms and payment means and so on. Because for each client-supplier relation, actually, you're going to have something different. Some want to be paid on the 10th of a given month, and some want to be paid 60 days after the, the bill. So it's always different. And you end up dealing with that complexity. Well, you need to check if you have to pay the bills, if you have the money at the bank. And once you have figured this out, you have to go through all your different bank interfaces because, of course, you have different loans to finance your businesses, so you have different banks. And let's say that in, in a given bank, for instance, you're going to have different logins just for different bank accounts, although it's the same bank, right? So, and then you have to manually type in sort codes, etc. So for one specific payment, if you have the chance to have the, the recipes, bank details already input, it's like 10 to 15 minutes. If you're lucky enough to do all this in a row, and that doesn't make any sense. According to the Bank of England, 40% of businesses still rely on the lean check in the UK. So why? Because checks are very easy. You write, you send, you put the dates that you want. So digital should be the solution for easy, easy fast, and reliable payments. I'm going to stick with you on that for a moment, Pierre. In a lot of those cases, the complexity is not just about the volume of transactions and how frequently you have to do it, but it is also linked to the way these systems are networked together. So talk to me more about the problem of how these payments can't be solved without networks. Think about the way 15 years ago, you would share pics with your family and friends. You would print out pictures or send them by email. But anyways, you would send them like this. It would be a one-way relation. And think about how you do it today. You open a Google Drive or share them via Instagram or Facebook. There are two different steps. First, you choose how and to who and when. You share your private stuff. You have your first circle and then another circle and then it's public, right? So that's the first step. And you do this with almost everything. And then you just release information. And so the same is occurring in intercompany exchanges. We can keep going by sending to each other some stuff that we all have to input manually, right? I mean, an hour ago, I was uh, you know, laughing with our uh, CFO. We just received a letter, so a paper letter saying, hey, 
we have changed our bank account reference. Please input our new salt core into your bank interfaces. So it means that 3,000 clients of this company are going to change the salt code of that company to pay that company. That doesn't make sense because ultimately you're not paying a bank account. You're paying someone, you're paying a company, right? So you should just pay like you send a message and the network should send the money where it's meant to be received, but it should be your payment, your business, your rules, right? So you should say, hey, I want to switch where I receive my money. It's routed automatically by the network. And so that's the same. That's what is a network. And so this is what we've built with Fobia because ultimately each business has its own accounting system, ERP system, CRM system, and that system needs to be integrated and flowing perfectly with its recipients, so its counterparties systems, right? And so you need a system between systems. If I try and put this in context, I understand e-invoicing. E-invoicing is linking two businesses together via digital systems so they can send one invoice to another. Have you created the payments version of, of e-invoicing? Is that is basically that what Livio is drawn? You're totally right. Cool. Well, hopefully that makes sense then to any of our listeners, which is, in essence, you are creating the ability to link two businesses together so that when one is paying the other, they are seeing the information from the other business. And if they've changed information, None of that needs to be verified because they're already connected. They're already authorized that, similar to like an API connection. And so as soon as two individual entities have authorized each other, that connection is pretty much there forever until they terminate that. That's absolutely it. Yeah. And the network, the first thing the network does is, as you were saying, verifying the credits of that company so that all companies wishing to pay that company do it in a safe way. Biggest white elephant in the room, also known as John Toon, open banking. Does it work for this? From exactly what Pierre described, a lot of that depends on the market being up to date and up to par to keep pace with this. And for it to have scalability, what does it need? Is it working well enough, John? What's your opinion? It's still early days for open banking here in the UK. It's me five years old and maybe you'd sort of think that's got to a level of maturity but we know that the regulation around various things to do with payments and payment infrastructure is still being developed and rolled out and what Pierre has just described there where entities are able to share their details and verify those well we have that in the UK through open banking with confirmation of pay problem is that that's only restricted to the banks at the moment so third-party apps like Libio for example can't use that now that is being opened out and that will make that process even easier because actually you won't need to then have that you know, one-to-one verification because you can simply say, these are my supplier details, check them, done. And, and that'll be it. So things that have been put in place will actually enhance what your know, businesses like Libio are trying to achieve. The challenges at the moment is we're just in this hybrid space where we're not quite there with the technology, but people want to get there as quickly as possible. So we're having to build these workarounds. Yeah, well, changing that. John, open banking has been around for quite a while now and we're getting there with bank feeds. Still don't think they're they're 100%. But from the variable payments side, that feels like that's brand new. And if you look at the timeline that is taken for just reading data, writing data, which is the, the payment solution, surely we're like three or four years off before we've got scale. 
Does that sound realistic or do you think it was going to go a lot quicker? It's going to go quicker because our banks are now realizing that they're being pushed to accelerate their development and accelerate opening out their technology. And we know there's still resistance within more of the mainstream banks than the, the, than the newer banks. But confirmation of pay, for example, doesn't need the banks to do anything because they are mandated to have that information available. And they're really just opening out an existing system to a wider audience. The variable recurring payments is an area where there'll be a little bit more challenge. And we know that that's not coming in until July this year. We know from talking to others in the, in the marketplace that this is a challenge. But having said that, NatWest have announced a, a really interesting partnership with a number of partners, not just here in the UK, but in Europe as well, to make variable recurring payments. It's something that's not just part of their ecosystem, but it's widely available. And so that's where we're going to go. And for me, that feels like what Zero tried to achieve in those early days of opening up a marketplace. Glenn, if you've got any other thoughts on that. Open banking in general is well, look, we're fans of it we see the opportunity that's there the execution and usefulness of it at the minute is probably a bit debatable for business to business lots of early benefits for business to consumer open banking was something that i like zero were keen to play a part in and get involved it probably never never got much further than bank feeds there's lots to consume and lots of opportunities and it's figuring out where you make the most of it. Like the biggest challenge we'll see at the minute with open banking for payments is not every bank supports bulk payments, but that's a big need where you're trying to create efficiency and speed up your accounts payable process. And some of the major banks, right, are still supporting just the individual payments. Like there's like a broken process there, which just doesn't quite deliver what you want it to do. You make a good point there, Glenn, on the, the bulk payments, because we know from, from other people that we talk to in the market, that is a particular issue. And actually, that's an area where we have this regulated mandate for open banking to be rolled out in the UK, but actually it's an area where the regulation hasn't really touched on the, the payment side and solutions. And so it's fallen into that gap where we're in this quasi space of there are certain banks that have realised there's an opportunity in opening out their infrastructure. And there are products now building into that. But then there are other banks who are, who are more resistant to that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. The main thing that we are taking from it is, look, there's the opportunity to save time. There's an opportunity to save money. And that open banking is not the silver bullet for everything. Moving on, Glenn, could you talk to us about the solutions or one of the solutions that, that Libio is tackling when it comes to the complexity of payments? Yeah, look, maybe touch a little bit. And PM may add some context to this, but this concept of the technology around wallets, right, and, and how they work, like, there's still some friction typically with that, whereas people either need to manually move money or in some cases set up a standing order and auto top up around these wallets, being able to effectively connect the wallet to your bank so you can auto top up and remove that friction point. I think will like it brings the experience to life of being able to make payments and we talk about pay with libio and we talk about one click payments that's the goal right is to simplify this make it much easier and that's some real value that can be created um, and look most payment systems and libio included this like there's nothing complex about libio and about the payment experience so actually nothing complex about the problem we solve but actually it's like the value that it creates is enormous and that's where the where the magic is it's not like a demo of libio will take you 10 minutes or so it's not a, it's not a 90 minute demo right? so you're sit there and spend loads of time we're going to show you a few key points and it's just going to resonate really easily and the wallet experience of that 
is a key part of that because it does allow us to not focus solely on open banking, but equally give people a really slick and wholesome experience with, with the product, which means they want to keep coming back and keep doing all their payments through the platform. To be fair, Glenn, if you had to spend 90 minutes on a demo of a solution that's helping to solve the payments problem, you've created more of a problem than you solved. So it's fair to say that if it's easy to pick up and use, that's critical to what you're developing, isn't it? Maybe Pierre, you can sort of add to this, but you touched on there that automatic funding of a wallet and that's a real critical point of what differentiates you from what the other wallet solutions that are in the market already so was that something you set out to fix straight away or is that just a consequence of what you built yeah so it's a great question the main benefits we were speaking about the pain points right so the pain points are that you want to pay whatever your bank is or whatever your banks are because most of the time you have different banks you can also if you have different companies process the payments in a row for different companies because probably you have the same people managing the purchases for different companies. So if you want to ask to that person if you can pay all the bills, probably you want to do it for all the companies at the same time, right? And so analyzing bills, getting approvals, and the conclusion is the payment. Actually, it's really the last mile, right? So the logic and, and the continuity is the ability to make all the payments, whatever your banks are, and in a click. And so Libo pulls the money where it is, where you, you send Libo to take the money, and that will be able to send the money out to the different days. And so what Glenn says is right. In average, it's 20 manual steps just to process the payment. I'm not even speaking about the approval, right? Because most of the time that is, that is made by walking from bed to death and say, hey, can I pay the bill, right? We replace this in two clicks. You can validate the bill and you can pay it. And that's all so that's done. And if you have 30 bills to pay, select all your 30 bills, you validate, that's done. Whatever your bank is, whatever your banks are, and for all your companies in a row. This way it's very flexible, works with all your banks. It's very easy and fast. But in the same time, it remains safe. It is built this way because that's the most efficient and reliable. And so we're speaking about open banking. Open banking is, is really great. It's a revolution, right? That changes everything in terms of regulation and experience. The thing is, unfortunately, it's a law that says to the banks, you have to create that API and that API has to be done this way. The thing is from one bank to another bank and sometimes to one type of account to another type of account, it's going to be slightly different, which is why we go through great services like Yapili or FinTechTurf, which are APIs aggregators. But they all have tiny differences. And for instance, they may have ceilings. So at the end of the week, you can process more payments that way. Libeo removes that friction because if it doesn't work 100%, unfortunately, you can't use it. Can I be a real pain? Give you two minutes because... I Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the smell in the podcast, but yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It's when the fire starts coming up the stairs. I'm not sure you want to smell a vegan crass on that. It's no. All the non-vegan stuff that makes it what it is.
I like the fact that like, whichever like ecosystem partner you're talking to, like she's going to follow their culture. So like, find yourself some like, Japanese app in the future. She'll have sushi. Yeah, vegan sushi. Yeah, vegan sushi. That's just like it's just edamame beans or something. Isn't it? Like, <laughs> no, I don't know what's going to happen if we ever get an interview with someone at zero because yeah, like, the only thing that comes out of New Zealand is lamb, isn't it? Really? That's it. It's New Zealand lamb. Love a speculation. When you look at this space and how you're approaching it in terms of payments, how others are approaching it in the market, what do you expect to be the future of this space? What is going to have the cut through and what sort of predictions do you have for where this is going to end up? Good. So look, maybe I'll start off with consolidation. We are early stage in this payment innovation and we're seeing solutions pop up across Europe and in the States and I've chatted to someone in Singapore actually this morning who, who's joined a company that has a similar solution and over the next few years we'll start to see some consolidation because there's probably not enough room in the market for all of the solutions. Like we feel like we're in a good place right like well-funded like 150 odd people really building stuff that hopefully makes a difference so uh, i don't think hopefully we won't be one of the the, the consolidations uh, we will start to see that over the next years and we, uh, every industry see it, whether it's uh, small business accounting software or, or others some people just like, unfortunately just get left behind and they disappear quietly or get acquired you've got to be able to build great stuff but also you've got to be able to ship it and get it into the hands of, of customers and continue that cycle right of, of innovation because like the beauty of technology these days in the cloud is the power in the buyer's hands people don't use everything from one supplier anymore they connect through APIs. they pick the best technology for their business and if you're not the best technology in a few months time they unpick you sometimes and connect the newest best piece of technology in so the power's in the hands of the buyer which is great right, for the buyer equally puts some pressure onto the the vendors and the, the tech companies to just continue to build stuff that people really want and value yeah, I would agree. And it's about picking the right horse in these cases. Pierre, from your perspective, what do you think? What do you think is going to be the future of this space? Obviously, you've been in it for a few years now. And where do you see it ending up? I think there's a consumerization uh, of payment somehow. Let me clarify. You, you used to make payments with your card or from your bank without really differentiating, for instance, Visa from MasterCard. And as we saw in, the, in our private lives, some brands are going to emerge and emerge stronger than others because ultimately it's a matter of trust. You're placing your trust and processing payments with your service is literally giving access to what is the most important thing to you as a, as a CEO, founder, or CFO, which is your cash the cash that you have on your bank accounts, in your bank accounts. And so consequently, I also think that some alliances will be formed and probably not only with software partners. So let's take the example of Libero. Libero is already the partner, the official and exclusive partner for QuickBooks in Europe. So if you are a QuickBooks user, if you want to process payments from your QuickBooks interface, that is powered by Libeo under the Libeo Pay brand. 
And because that works very well first, but also because you want to trust a name that would work from any bank account that you would have, but it also needs to be compatible with your, as we were saying before, clients or suppliers system as well. So it needs to be compatible and therefore on a neutral ground. Some of the, of the alliances we're going to see consequently because of this is also alliances with historical players like banks, like maybe regulators as well. And so, yeah, trust and, and strong brands are going to be one of the keys to cross the chasm somehow. Pierre, clearly in the UK and, and Europe, you're we're quite proud of the fact that we started on this open banking journey in particular, probably earlier than many other places in, in, in the world. But also payments has always been quite a strong part of banking infrastructure in, in both those territories. Do you think the payment solutions that are being built now, are they going to remain within those geographic locations? And, and as Glenn maybe alluded to, we're going to end up with sort of replicas in Singapore and Australia and the United States, for example, or are we going to see you know, somebody become a global player like a Visa or a MasterCard, for example? That's the question, right? That's the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So a couple of episodes, um, the equation, something is not going to change, i.e. local regulators. But as you were saying, we also see that super layer, which is potential networks, bronze, that connect to that local regulator schemes. And payments are not, not only about routing the, the money to the right place. It's also about routing the money from the right client to the right supplier, right? So you have different types of layers. You have the business relationship per, per se, where the information comes from originally, which is from one system to another one. And then the consequences that payment settlement. And so we'll see that it's a matter of connecting right well the dots and, and the people uh, in the businesses. We'll see probably not a unique payment scheme emerging, probably some globalized networks where that payment articulation is done between invoices, suppliers, clients, and the payment, which is the consequence of that transaction. Coming back to your point, Europe, better payment systems. UK backs faster payments. It's really better than what we have already in continental Europe. It's really better and much better than the American clearing house, for instance, which is state to state expensive, at least used to be. Now it's much better. But the thing is, that is the last mile. So if everything before doesn't work well, it doesn't change nothing because you still have to input that data manually to process the payment instantly. But as you have done everything yourself manually before, doesn't change everything. So what we're seeing now is that digitization first of all the steps before that automates payments per se as a bulk or as units. If we speak about Swift, for instance, SWIFT is a messaging system between regional payment networks. And so we'll see the equivalent of SWIFT, but for businesses. And we'll see networks appearing, that's for sure, at a global scale. But probably there's no room enough for like dozens of them. That's probably the, the key thing. The reason that things like SWIFT 
exist, for example, is that in reality, there's only room for you know, one messaging service in the same way that there's only really room for one Facebook and one Twitter and those kind of things. Once you get a broad range, you actually end up with more inefficiency, don't you, in terms of you know, people are excluded from various systems because of whatever geographic region, for example, they're using or whatever technology they're using. And that's not what it feels like global payment solutions need at this time. As you spoke about some of the banks and how they may work with players in this space, do you think a lot more than businesses that are working in this space will get acquired by banks and that their banks will ultimately be able to play catch up? The issue with banks acquiring payment system is that the other banks competing with this bank probably don't want to work with that payment scheme. I'm not sure this is the natural way, but probably partnerships or a consortium of banks probably could do this move, would make sense, but probably not. Coming back to SWIFT, for example, it's an association, a common neutral ground that it's only a messaging system that takes the information from one scheme and sends it to another one. It's like a chamber of compensations. And because what banks do actually at the end of the day, they just exchange files to say, hey, you owe me this and I owe you this. And, and, and that's how WISE has revolutionized international payments by just doing the difference and just acquiring the difference every day to lower cost. And yeah, I would say that move, as you were describing, would make sense from far, probably looking closer at it, it's not a wise move. And maybe just to add to that is, is it then something that say an American Express, a Visa, MasterCard are going to be more interested in, in terms of, we're talking about the acquisitions that Glenn mentioned before, we've already seen that Visa have, have, have made moves in the open banking space, for example. So do you think that's where it's more likely to happen? It's probably for them, the move would be, first of all, defensive move to prevent emerging and new players to take margins from their historical business. And they start working on this network because how payment works, card payments, you have a card order, and this card is connected to a bank account. And you have a payment terminal, which is as well linked to bank accounts. And so they own the technologies that wires the money. And so they already have networks, but these are closed networks, private networks. And probably the emergence of some out public networks is a threat. And so, of course, we saw there was... Um, one of the big news in payments beginning of the past quarter, sorry, was that Amazon doesn't want to pay fees to Visa anymore because that's 1% of the money they're making. Of course, so that's totally expensive for a system which is amortized in, in an accounting way for decades. And so payments interest all the players, banks, GAFAs, all the Amazon probably would be very interested by buying a payment network. You have lots of players interested by this, but probably that players that would create more value in, in payments would be typical historical 
network systems. So we were mentioning Facebook. Facebook has proven that they have a lot of initiatives in the payment world. And there are so much threats that regulators and states are really saying, wow, wow, we have to slow down this. It's too dangerous. So yeah, I would say payments are really at the center of everything. And lots of players would be interested in consolidating somehow. Do you think regulators have a role to play in that in terms of maybe protecting this establishing ecosystem to ensure that it does get established before you know, someone like Visa or MasterCard just came in and snapped up you know, the key players? Because there's nothing in my mind to stop you, Pierre, for example, if Visa came along and offered you 100 million euros that you're not going to say no because you'd be crazy not to. But does that stifle the innovation in the market? Libo is, is, is not willing sell. We love what we're doing and, and we think the market is huge, but regulators, of course, have a role to play. Not sure they always have the means to catch up with uh, innovative companies that go faster, that see things through first, that project before regulators some dynamics. And so regulators are, of course, very important piece of the value chain, but, and, and especially in payments, of course, it's regulated activities. You, you can start a payment company without showing up and, and, and go through very long and, and, and comprehensive due diligences, but probably innovation, you can beat innovation either. So probably innovation will be slightly superior to regulators somehow. So where to for Libio? Where's the end game? Tell us where you want to end up. The goal is that European expansion. We've been really, really successful in France. We operate in, in Belgium. We have more, more countries that we would love to win in, but the UK is the focal point definitely for that next kind of 12 to 18 months. So really em- embedding ourselves within that accounting and bookkeeping community, but equally within the small and medium business community. We're particularly passionate about hospitality. Pierre touched on his background earlier. We know the, the problems that those industries have had over the last few years and the opportunity to give them technology that allows them to focus on getting more people through the door. Equally, like lots of other verticals that, that we operate in. So yeah, the goal is really like get ourselves really established, become that market leader for, for payments, particularly for accountants and bookkeepers, and that will then filter into the small and medium business community. And then we've got the playbook, right? It's like take it into other European markets. Like, like let's say like legislation is that allows us to passport relatively easily into, into other countries. We'll fix the UK and then like head into some other countries, hopefully, that we can work on work on fixing. How are you working with accountants at the moment? How are you finding that they're receiving it in terms of just introductions into Libya? Really, really well, because I think when we talk to accounting firms, we, we talk about two options for them, really. And most of them take both options, in all honesty. So one is you've got a virtual FD department or an outsourcing department, like one where you want to take all the pain away for your clients and actually you want to charge a fairly handsome fee for that. And with Libya, we talk about the app stack, so zero, Sage, QuickBooks, whatever it is, you've got auto entry indexed for OCR, you've often got GoCardless and Stripe for AR payments, and then Libio sits on top of that for AP. When maybe it has a, there hasn't been a great solution for that in, in the past. So there's your app stack to be able to take all of the pain away from your clients, charge a good fee for it, 
but do everything for them in lots of cases. So that's that one side of if you're a bookkeeper or an accountant who want to do everything for your clients, that there's a solution for you now because all the approvals are built into Libya. Outside of that, it's working with accountants who have got like specialisms. So hospitality, I put a little post on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago about one of our case studies from one of the restaurants that use Libya and got three accountants like knocking on my like virtual LinkedIn door saying, I've got restaurant customers. I resonate with this, but can, can we, can we have a chat? So identifying certain types of clients where we know the similar pain points exist, Libya can be then a great solution because the client may be running Libya and using it themselves, but actually the accountant being able to be connected into that, the business owner gets the same benefits that the accountant would get for payments, right? Slick, one-click like opportunities to do payments, approvals if they need it like a really nice solution for being able to run their payment part of their business and get some time back. So they're the two options. Both add value to the accountant, but it means that they can either push it into their client base and clients would use it themselves or equally use it internally to automate and add some efficiency to, and then maybe a new revenue line for payments within their business. How, how are you differentiating yourselves from the people in the market? We said it's a busy place. So what, what's the key differentiator for Libio compared to compared to others? Yeah, I, I pick on probably two things. One is open banking and wallet. So it fits like both, gives you like some flexibility around how you want to pay. The other thing is certainly for like that accountant side and for like businesses are usually a certain size where this becomes quite painful. The approval workflow that exists is key because uh, it's the ability to, even if you're uh, a business owner, to be able to get other people in the business to approve invoices before you pay them. If you've got this best of both worlds approach, effectively, the, the challenge for you guys must be surely that you're going to have payment solutions out there in the market that offer a wallet-only solution who must surely be looking at open banking. In fact, we know generally that they are. And you've also got the more open banking-focused solutions that are also then doing the same as you guys are doing and realizing that it's not fixing all the problems that are there and looking back at your know, wallet solution. So if that's your differentiator for now, is that enough for the next three to six months or what else do you guys need to do? Yeah, probably enough in the next three to six months, but like, innovation doesn't, like, it doesn't halt. You got to keep going. Like, a USP is a, a USP for a small amount of time. So we got to keep taking feedback, keep building a product that, that people want. And I there's always a balance, right, of when tech companies build products, when they get it right, it's probably like 80% customer feedback led, 20% like rogue tech people that are just smart. Right? It's like that Henry Ford quote of if, if I'd given people what they wanted, I would have given them faster horses, right, not a car. Um, so it's like, like really smart people. And I always use like Craig Walker at Zero, the CTO there, who built the bank wreck. But it's kind of a bank wreck that no one's really replicated quite closely but no one was really asking for the way Craig designed that bank wreck experience um, and Pierre Antoine our CTO is like just like equally as smart and creative at that stuff so you want that 20% of like, lunacy where tech people are building stuff right that they think you want and you've got probably a hit rate of like one in five like every now and again you'll hit something and someone will go wow I never knew I needed that like that was amazing so there's that that balance of when innovation comes in, it's keep taking feedback from users and try and build what they see as utopia. Like what's the perfect payment experience and perfect payment solution we can give you? 
Equally, it's about the experience. So when we talk about wallet or open banking, actually the goal there is to stop talking about wallet or open banking, right? That's a mechanism under the hood. It's just like, this is how I want to pay it. And then it's just like that the experience you get using the product is important. The UI, the way you interact with the product is, is key. And that can be a differentiator. It's not just who's got the best features or who's got the most features. So we'll, we'll continue to, to build amazing stuff to help fix problems. Some of that will be functional and feature driven. Some of it will be experience driven. Other than that, we're just like decent people. To, we're pretty good fun. Uh, we like, like, like say we're French headquartered. We like croissants. The wine's good. Uh, uh, Indy's eating a vegan croissant at the minute, which we're horrified with. But and drinking not. vegan wine as well. Yes. Vegan <laughs> wine. So yeah, so she's definitely not coming to any parties. But uh, but other than that, it's like good people trying to help them. Good people trying to fix problems for people um, and do it the right way. There's a lot to be said about just like wanting to work and deal with people that are like genuine decent fun and people to work with so you, you guys are the uh hybrid car of the payments world on the journey to electrification yeah and you could describe it like that uh, well we have a couple of things as well three things we already process payments uh, in eu and the uk so we have a lot of clients that have businesses in both the uk and eu so that's much easier to process uh, payments from a single place also, we do APNAR, so that may sound silly, but it's not only about making payments, it's also about receiving payments. And given that we have licenses to, to do so, that payments can also be embedded into another system because ultimately you want that data to be synchronized. Um, no, in, in, it's, you want a two-way synchronization, always up to date. And so we have the APIs to do so. And so that's how QuickBooks embedded Libeo into their system. And so you want this to be extremely easy to use. And so working from anywhere and probably that, that is a stronger set. And, and the last thing, we spent a lot of time in hiding that complexity, right? And so when you look at this, you say, wow, it's really simple, but all the things that are behind, it's like a lot of work. And so, Probably I would say these three things to add on what was uh, saying plan. That brings another episode to a close. Thank you for joining us and a big thank you to Libio for giving us a spotlight on the common problems in this payment space and highlighting the potential solutions they're offering through accountants. Before we head off, Glenn, if anyone wants to reach out to you and find out or have a chat about Libio, what is the best thing for them to do? Yeah, website's a good place to start. Any questions, it's hello at libio.io. And uh, yeah, we'll get back to you. But looking forward to chatting to some people. Good. Okay. And as always, if you are a fan of this podcast or you've liked this episode what would be really handy is if you could share this episode or give it a review it really helps us because then we can track how the episodes are going down and we track them episode to episode so you'll be doing us a big favor Pierre if anyone wants to reach out to you what is the best way to get in touch with you my email or on twitter LinkedIn I'll answer Great. So thanks again for joining us and join us on the next one. Thanks a lot.